Welcome to She Is Your Neighbor, a show where we discuss the realities and complexities of domestic violence. This podcast is brought to you by Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region, a charitable organization in Ontario, Canada. I'm your host, Jenna Main. Join me as we talk to different people each week to learn how domestic violence impacts people from all walks of life. She is your neighbor, and we all have a role to play in ending domestic violence. This week's episode is called Why We Need Male Allies with Lauren Paddleford. Lauren is the Vice President and General Manager of Shopify Plus. He leads a world-class team of designers, software developers, marketers, and much more. In this episode, Lauren shares his childhood experience with domestic violence. He also talks about the role of male allies and what men can do to help. It was really amazing to speak with Lauren and learn from his experiences. He is a huge supporter of our organization and a fantastic male ally. I think he is someone that we all can learn from. Before we get started, I want to note that we'll be taking a short break from the podcast and coming back in a couple weeks with some very special guests. Stay tuned. Hello again. Thanks for joining me here today. Thank you. I'm glad you were able to come in. Yeah, so am I. So can you start by telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name's Lauren. Um, I, right now I live in Puss Lynch. I lived in Waterloo until four days ago. Um, oh. <laughs> we just moved. Um, but uh, uh, I grew up in Milton, uh, so I'm relatively local. I went to school in Guelph. and. Uh, I currently work for a technology company, and uh, I'm married. I have two young daughters, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm a bit of a nerd. I like video games and uh, and technology and space, and uh, so I'm obsessed right now with all this cool SpaceX stuff. Um, I have a sister, a younger sister, an older brother. I don't know what else do you want to know. That's pretty good. Yeah, I've, I've gathered the space stuff from Twitter. I see yeah. it sometimes. So. Yeah, and I mean, you can't see it, but I have a whole arm of t- space tattoos. So. Oh, that's what that is. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thanks again for joining me here today. Mm-hmm. Sorry to pull you away right after you moved. That's uh, probably... I don't know. It's, <laughs> look, there's, they joke that there's never good times to do anything. Uh, so there's never a good time to move. There's never a good time to take a vacation. There's never a good time to start a new job. So it's just like, I don't know. You just get used to doing things. So That's true. No you problem. just got to roll with it. Right. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, so today we're here for the She Is Your Neighbor podcast. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking a little bit about domestic violence, We're going to talk a little bit about your personal experience, and we're also going to talk about the role of male allies. So I was wondering if you could start by sharing a bit about your story with us. Sure. So my father was uh, emotionally, verbally, and physically abusive to my brother, who is a half-brother, he had a different father, um, and my mother. Uh, and uh, it was when we were, we were younger, my parents are divorced at this point. My father actually passed away last year. Um, and so when I was young, growing up, what I saw was an individual who could not manage his own emotions and so would get very, very angry at what seemed like, in retrospect, very relevant things. Right? Um, 
you know, who ate what cereal, uh, you know, um, who left a door open, that kind of stuff. It was, it seemed like hair trigger activity. And he was really abusive to my brother. Um, part of it was, wasn't his son. Uh, and so I don't know, he, he didn't deal well with that. So um, he beat him mercil mercilessly. Um, and so I, I saw that uh, uh, on a number of occasions. Um, he was verbally abusive to my mother and my brother um, a lot. Uh, he was emotionally all over the place. Um, I, yeah, it, it's hard to characterize, I guess, in some respects, because also I was very young. And so I, this was, you know, between the ages of, say, five and twelve right is, is when I was I saw this activity um, and yeah it was just it was very controlling very aggressive very irrational um, lots of yelling lots of throwing things lots of um, you know he's a big guy like I'm, I'm a big guy I'm six foot four I'm 300 pounds he was six foot three, 250 pounds, like he was a big dude. Mm -hmm. And uh, he used that to intimidate um, everybody. And um, and so, you know, eventually uh, my mother, like he, he hit my mother enough that she left. Um, and, you know, when we were, when we had moved, we were in an isolated community. Uh, so that was also very hard. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I witnessed a lot of stuff that I didn't really understand until I was older, what I was, what really was happening. Um, I mean, I saw it, I knew it. He was always good with me um, and with my sister. Uh, he never, it wasn't until I was a teenager that he turned um, more aggressive towards me. Um, uh, but when I was a kid, it was like, you have these weird dual experiences. It's on one hand, I remember um, fishing and like, you know, having fun and stuff like that. And like, that's part of the memory I have of him. And then on the other hand, I remember like him with my brother and him with my mother. And, and, and so it's like, it's an odd kind of duality um, that, uh, that I experienced um, until I was a little bit older and um, then our dynamic changed. So then as, like, as to finish that story, I guess, when I got older, um, and I don't know if it was just, he now saw me as a threat or you know another male I don't know I, I never quite got to the bottom of that um, but his anger and aggression uh, turned towards me more and again it was a lot of um, dominance behavior right trying to prove he was the dominant person in the room um, and I got, you know, my own size, I started to get bigger and everything. So I just like my tolerance level for his, you know, sorry, I swear a lot for his bullshit, um, uh, just dropped. And so, uh, that kind of ended our, our relationship. And, and so for the last 20 years, he and I have had no relationship. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's, it's hard to describe such a long period of time in a succinct way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was not great, right? Like it was not a, a, a great environment for that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that with me. And I know it's, I'm sorry you had to go through that because I know mm. it's very tough. Oh, thanks. But I appreciate you sharing it. 
Can so you mentioned at one point your mom left the relationship, um, mm-hmm. and that's when you were still a kid, right? Yeah, I was a teenager by that point. Okay. Can you tell me a, a little bit about how what happened there, if you remember? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, um, for the early part of my childhood, we lived in an isolated community, and it was a community we had moved into, um, and um, it was very far away from family. Right. Um, I was born in the U.S. We moved to a northern community in Canada. And so uh, my mother was isolated from all of her family by thousands of miles um, in a very small, very isolated geographically community. And so, you know, at the call it height of the abuse, there was nowhere to go. Right. Like, I mean, we were not um, well off like it, we were. You know, he was the breadwinner, and so there was no options out. She also had three young kids, right? And so, you know, I was six. My bro- my sister was uh, uh, four and a half. My brother's nine years older, but still young kids. So, like, she was in a rock and a hard place. Like, he was threatening, and, um, and people tried to intervene. And for all their... Uh, you know, was, and I only learned this after that um, various community members could just tell he was abusive, right? And like, and we're trying to help her. We're like, we will get you out of here. Um, but, and I, I remember talking to her and I mean, the, the summary of what she kind of said was like, um, I didn't know if he'd kill us all, right? If we tried to leave, right? Like I didn't know, and so it's like that, that fear stopped her, right? It was like, it wasn't necessarily fear for herself. I think it was just fear for us, like what would happen, right? Um, and so she didn't leave. And uh, uh, and so lit, so as time progressed, my brother left, right? He moved away. We got a little bit older. Um, we had moved to, uh, to Ontario. And um, I think like, it, it felt more stable. I mean, I can't, I don't, I, I don't know the whole psychology of what she was thinking at the time, but I think it felt more stable. Her friends and community felt more stable and supportive, but I also think she had developed more and she had gotten more comfortable in who she was. And, um, and so I think it just hit an edge where she was like, we're not doing this anymore. And um, she left and they got divorced. Uh, I, again, I was, still relatively young. I wasn't totally aware of everything, so I stayed with him, right? So my sister moved with my mother and then I stayed with him. That's when the dynamic between he and I changed. Um, and uh, I was there for probably a year and then I left. Um, but yeah, she eventually just, I think, you know, had had enough and uh, moved on. Yeah, it's so interesting too because, and you mentioned some of the dynamics had changed by the time she was able to leave mm-hmm. because there's the isolation aspect living in yeah. such a remote community. We know it's super dangerous and it's a, there's a lot of different barriers for women who live remotely than mm-hmm. women who live in urban areas. Yeah. Um, even one thing people sometimes don't think about is access to weapons. Like if they live um, on a farm or something like that, there might be weapons around. Also, just how remote it is, like you said, how do you get from point A to point B? There might not be a shelter for miles and miles. Well, and if you don't have any money, right? Like you're thousands of miles away from another town. <clears throat> and if you don't have money, how do you fly out? 
How do you drive out? You don't have a car? You know, like you're asking, it's double folded, right? And again, I don't, I can't even begin to put myself in the psyche of a woman in an abusive relationship, but I can look at it logically and say, as humans, we don't like putting other people out, right? We don't like asking for help. It's just, it's it's a social faux pas that we've all been brought up to be like, be self-sufficient, don't ever be vulnerable, that kind of stuff. And so if you're in that position, going and asking friends, but like, they're not your family, that and saying, I need what would be equivalent to thousands of dollars and, and tens of hours of help, right? Is a big ask. It's and, and I would think for most people, an impossible ask, like they're not gonna do that. Um, but that was what was required to get out in that community, right? Uh, it was not going to be simple. And add three kids. So now it's not just you getting out, it's you getting out with three kids. And when? The place is small. He's everywhere, right? Like it, It's just like the compounding logic problems with trying to escape something like that in an isolated community is, um, uh, on reflection, excruciatingly complicated, right, uh, and hard. I think once we moved, like you said, we moved into a more densely populated area um, to use a probably a bad kind. Of, there's more escape routes. There's more options to leave. You can disappear faster, right? Um, uh, law enforcement is just more plentiful, right? Uh, like there's just a lot of things that a, a bigger population density provides that um, uh, gives you options and uh, but also think maturity age you know there were different things yeah for sure and you also mentioned that she was scared for her life at the time yeah. too so that's a huge factor is the fear there's all those things there's the financial abuse there's the isolation there's everything going on there and then you're scared for your life too yeah you know I mean you know uh, if you've never had someone actually threaten your life, right? You don't know how your brain reacts to that. And so it's, it's you know, when you go through and your whole life is tied up in an individual and that individual is telling you, if you try and leave, I will find you, right? And I will kill you, right? Like you have no, why wouldn't you believe that as a, as a thing? Like, and so I think, you know, I've, I've heard over time people say, oh yeah, but he wasn't gonna do that. How do you know? How do you know he's not gonna do that, right? Like, I mean, been physically abusive, been verbally abusive, been mentally abusive, right? Like, what's the, what's the step? That's not a big step. It sounds like a big step, but then that cycle, that's not a big step, right? Um, and so I, I, you know, I have tremendous empathy for my mother um, because again, in retrospect, and again, being a male, being a big male, right? I, like, that'd be scary as shit, right? Like, I mean, I, I can't even imagine, right? If, like someone with my presence, size, that kind of stuff, looks you in the eyes and says, I'll find you and kill you. I mean, yeah, you're just gonna sit there because like, that's too dangerous to play with. It is, that's really frightening. Mm. And like you said, the power over the person, it's, it's just a lot going on there. And we always recommend um, when a woman is ready or thinking about leaving a relationship to make a safety plan. We always recommend getting professional help if it's possible at the time or at least tell a friend or family member because when a woman 
decides to leave, that is the most likely time for violence to escalate. Mm. And so if someone was threatening to kill someone, that's that's when that is most likely to happen too. Mm. So it's a really dangerous time. So all those things compounded and then the actual leaving, it's scary. And like you said, there's all these things to consider. So when someone is making a safety plan, sometimes it's nice to get help with what are even the steps? How do I even begin to think about leaving? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that our support workers here do, and they help women even think about small things like pack a bag, make sure you always have a bag ready. So if you do need to leave in an instant, you're able to go and you have some things with you, have your birth certificate, your your credit cards if you have them, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you shared that because that's something we get asked a lot too is, why don't women just leave? Mm-hmm. Um, sounds simple. Sounds simple, and for me, I find it, um, I know it comes from a, a place of concern, but for me, it's a frustrating question because if it was that simple, everyone would do it. Yeah, I think it's, I, you know, I, I don't I don't fault people, um, but if you have had no experience with this, it's easy to make easy statements. Um, you know, the dynamics are much more complicated in reality. And uh, I think we forget quickly, um, even in most of, even in most relationships that aren't abusive, the concept of leaving is much more complicated when you sit down and think about it. If it like anyone, you sit down and say, "Leave your relationship right now," they'd all hesitate, right? Because they'd be like, "Oh man, our bank accounts are tied together. We only have a car." Like it's like, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, I should just walk away, um, but that's not simple in any scenario and then add the complexity of abuse and add the complexity of control and add the complexity of fear and you know that that simplicity of just walk out the door and never come back you know becomes a non-option yeah i think so too i'm thank you for expanding on that i think that's it's really helpful to kind of pull that apart and talk about what the challenges are because um it's just it's not as easy as it seems sometimes. Yes. So I know you talked about this a little bit, but I'm wondering what this experience, um, what the impact was on you growing up. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't. I. Uh, I think that. I talked a little bit about like my memory of the time is kind of bifurcated into happy childhood memories um, and then these snippets of uh, you know violence and, and aggression and stuff like that um, but I don't I don't have a memory of a bad childhood like, I, like, in the sense that, like, my aggregate feeling on my childhood isn't bad. I don't think, like, oh, I had a disaster of a childhood. I think, you know, my memories are that there were bad times, there were bad instances, but there were also great times and great instances. Um, I think as I've gotten older, my reflection is being acute. Maybe that's too much. Um, at some point I became more consciously aware that this wasn't right 
that something wasn't right here, that this is not the way this should work. And it wasn't a, I don't think it was a mature thought. It was more just like, this doesn't feel right. And it wasn't until I was older, you know, call it teenager, um, when I started to put the more conscious thought together of, yeah, this is not how you behave, right? Um, as an individual, as a male in a relationship, you know, a bunch of things. Like, this is just, like, this is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And I also became aware of the, the existence of this narrative around cycle of violence um, with men. It's like, well, I grew up watching my dad beat women, so I beat women. And I remember the first time I heard that going like, sorry, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, so did I. And you came up with the conclusion that the best thing to do is keep doing it. Like, it just seemed odd to me that that was the answer I was hearing from other men. Um, was like, well, I had a rough childhood. And so like, that's how I learned to deal with things. And it's like, anyways, so that's its own topic. Um, but I, I was very aware that like this was wrong. I also had grown up, like once my mother left, once I had left and gone and moved with my mother, I grew up being, and my mother transformed her life from that point on. Went back to school, right? Like just like materially became a different person, right? Um, and so I got to witness like a rebirth and a very strong, very independent, um, woman raise two kids on her own right like do all this kind of stuff so i was there being like all right like surrounded by you know a, like a strong woman I, I had a strong aunt you know i had my sister i had like all these strong women around me who i was like okay all right so like you aren't the issue right <laughs> like that became it's like you're not the so like this is clearly on the other side of this uh, on the other side of this equation uh, and so for me it was um, it became very clear that like, yeah, all right, th this is, this was not how you behave. This is not what you should, you should be like. And, um, you can't be quiet about it, right? Like it's too stark, the problem here. And, um, and then when I started to date, because I'm big, it was fascinating because every single mother and father I encountered of girls that I was dating would hesitate, right? And, you know, you could see it and they and, you know, um, and I was like, this is amazing. So like, this is so pervasive. It's like, there's this idea that big guys, I was an athlete, all this kind of stuff are gonna act violently. Right. And this was just fascinating to me because I was like, why? Why do you just make this assumption? And then if any of them, you know, I was OK. I, I talked about the fact that my father was abusive. That actually made it worse because then they were like, oh, well, you must think that's the way it works. And I was this was amazing to me because I was like, why do you just immediately make this connection? Because I grew up seeing something, I'm destined to repeat it like that. That doesn't make sense to me. And so. It became a lot for me about um, talking about that and talking about that with uh, um, with people I was in relationships with, um, with other men, with other families. Just being like, why? Why do you think this? Why? Why? Why is it so obvious to you that a big guy who saw people be abused will just be abusive? 
And then it became then uh, what I started to read and learn about was like, yeah, that's kind of a cultural expectation as well. It's like we've built this idea of like you can't be in a rough spot and learn an alternate. And I just don't agree, right? Um, so uh, I know your question was, what was it like when I was a child? And I'm, and I'm now answering, you know, where I've gone with it. But I think as a child, I, I don't, I was a child, I don't know, right? Like I knew, would, I knew it didn't seem right and I didn't like my dad yelling, but I didn't know anything. It, it took until I was a, you know, a teenager and an adult for me to put it all together and be like, oh, I see the problem here. Um, and Yeah. Yeah. It's so no, it's so interesting to hear how it impacted you over time, though, and how you process these things over time. And as you got older and you started dating, and the things you saw in your own personal life, thinking back to that, it's it's very fascinating, and it's an interesting question. Why do we have these assumptions? Why do people think these things? People lack accountability, right? And so, what I found generally is in conversations with men who are repeating the cycle, when you really corner them and drill them down, it's an accountability problem. It's easier to blame your actions on someone else than to take responsibility for your own actions. And so it's easier to throw a tantrum. It's easier to punch someone. It sounds crazy, but it is because it's an emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. It's much harder to manage yourself. And so when you're like, well, I, I hit her. Why? Well, I grew up watching my dad hit my mom, and so I just, I can't, that's the, that's the thing I learned. That's an insane answer, right? So just so we're clear, if you grew up watching people smash themselves in the head with a hammer, are you now gonna smash yourself? Well, that's insane, I wouldn't do that, I might die. But it's the same logic, right? It's like this is a logical fallacy, this cycle, right? It implies the lack of choice. And it implies a lack of accountability. And it's just, it was a problem, it is still a problem, that I refuse to just accept when people give it to me. Because it's just like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, do you want to compare hardness? All right, let's go. Like, tell me how hard your life was, right? We'll compare notes. We'll decide that we're basically on the same path. And then we're going to have a conversation around why you have to continue doing this, right? Um, so, it, uh, yeah, it, I think we live in a society who, which easily allows people to blame everything but themselves for their own actions. Um, and men get away with bluntly murder, right? Um, because they don't have to be accountable for it, right? Um, because it's just like, oh, well, all you gotta do is play the I was abused as a kid child and then, or as a, as a child card. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, oh, we feel bad for you. Sorry, that's just a shit excuse. Yeah, I think so too. And it's interesting to hear your experience as a man. And that's part of the reason in this project we wanted to include men. We didn't want all voices of women because we frankly think that men have a role um, in ending domestic violence too. It's, the onus is not just on the woman. There's two people in the relationship. Um, so to us, it makes sense to involve men, hear their perspectives, um, hear what they've gone through as well and talk about how we can have male allies and how we can move this forward. Um, and you've been a big supporter of our organization in many different ways, um, and we're really grateful for that. 
And I'm just, so I'm just curious your thoughts on how men can be male allies and kind of what their role in this is. I think one of the things that men have to do more is talk about it, right? It's like silence isn't an answer. Um, you know, silence is ultimately acceptance, right? And, and so I think, and this applies in a lot of ways. Men have to be willing to talk about it, their own experiences, their own emotions, their own react, like, you know, but also challenge each other, right? To explain themselves. Why do you think this way, right? Why do you think this is okay? When they, like, you grow up as a male and so much of your social education is very, um, misogynistic right uh, and it's so pervasive and subtle like everyone talks about the overt signals you know catcalling all that kind of stuff yes it's all a problem and, and you know men need to get be comfortable calling each other out and be like don't do this you're stop being an asshole um, but it's the, the more subtle things that we have to get better at holding each other accountable for right um, and it's and so I think our our job as allies is um, both to engage a conversation with other men about this, right, and about our own experiences and about what is right and wrong, right, and what is acceptable and not acceptable, um, both in how people talk, how people act, um, how you're raising your own kids, right, what you're telling them, um, that kind of stuff. But I also think. Um, as allies, we have a responsibility to help uh, women in need. Because, you know, I often think if I was, uh, if I was me and knew my mother back in that day, right? Um, what, what could I or would I have maybe done, right? And it's like, you know, I don't know, but I feel like it's possible that um, had she had other strong male allies around her, she could have left earlier. Right? I don't know, maybe not, right? But I feel like our, you know, one of the roles we can play is, and I don't like the term because it's not what I'm trying to say, but like not protection, but support. Mm -hmm. It's like there are other men around, so if 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 the guy you're with wants to lose it, okay, right? He's gonna have to lose it with other men, right? Not just you, right? And like that presents a different option, right? And so I think we have a responsibility to be supportive of, of those who are working on this and doing this and supporting women in these situations. We have a responsibility to, to educate our kids um, and especially if you have male children, like educate them and don't let them um, believe, you know, women are objects and all this kind of shit that you, you're told when you're, you know, young men. Um, and, and get comfortable calling each other out and having real conversations about what is right and what is wrong and um, accountability and what role we all have to play here. Um, and I think, you know, if we do this and we do this more, A, we, you know, we should help reduce the issue but if nothing else um, you know 
give the women who are in these really horrible positions more options, right? More support, and uh, that's a start. I think so too. I think those are that's great advice to other men and to anyone really. Um, those are some things that you can do, and not all those things are very hard either. You know, mm -hmm. even like you said, just having a conversation, even talking about it like this today is at least opening a door. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, men are notoriously quiet because we're taught not to talk about feelings and our emotions and all that kind of stuff, and to stay out of it. Right? It's not your problem. Right? And. Uh, that's an excellent way to just, again, absolve yourself of any accountability, right? Um, and it, the, the interesting part I find with, with men a lot is that on one hand, we'll talk about the superhero we want to be, right? It's like, if I, was, if I saw someone getting mugged, I would stop them. It's like, really? So your neighbor is getting abused. What are you doing? Right, mm -hmm. and it's like, well, I, I'm not getting involved in their life. Okay, do, do you see? Like again, yeah. do you see the problem with these two statements? It's like you can't be the superhero selectively. Right? It's like if you see something, like do something, and, and I mean that in all in the whole spectrum, right? Um, and again, to me, the subtlety is, and I really, you know, I see this a lot, and I wish I was better than I am at it. I, you know. It's talk. Men talk a lot, and the bravado in the talk around subjects like this is just part of the problem. And it's like we all need to be better, and and not allow our bar conversations to devolve into what is ultimately abuse. Right? It's abuse talk. It's what it is. Right? Yeah. It's like uh, you know whether it's um, yeah. So I just think uh, having men get more comfortable with like, let's not talk about this. Like this is not a good conversation, right? Is a start because then it, it stops men and it's like, oh, right, yeah, right. It, like it, it starts to rewire the brain, yeah. right? To think about this in a different way, right, so. It does, thank you. Yeah, I completely agree. So um, as we kind of wrap up here, I'm just wondering, I mean, I know you've kind of touched on this, but just wondering why this conversation is important to you and what you hope people will take away from your story. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, you know, I hope that other men um, hear this, read about this, and know that they can talk to, right? And that they're not alone, right, in how they feel about things. Um, I hope it potentially makes them ask questions of their own behavior, right, and what they're doing um, to support this. I hope women who hear this um, know that there are men who are on their sides, right, that not all men are terrible, right, and that, uh, you know, there, there are allies and supporters who are, who are out there um, willing to help and um, trying to make it better. And then ultimately, this is a long path, right, and, you know, conversations matter. and. Um, you know, if it helps other people have conversations, then that's a net benefit, so. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm really grateful and it's so great to talk with you about this. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, thanks for having me. That wraps up this week's show, but the conversation is far from over. We wanna hear what you think. Use the hashtag, #SheIsYourNeighbor on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and join in the conversation. We all have a role to play in ending domestic violence.